you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Jennifer Thornton on the show with me. Jennifer has developed her expertise in talent strategy and leadership professional development over her exciting 20-plus year career as an HR professional. She's led international teams across greater China, Mexico, the UK, and the US to expand into new markets, managing franchise retailers, and developing key strategic partnerships, all while exceeding business objectives and financial results. The rapid growth of her consulting firm, 304 Coaching, has been largely due to Jennifer's unconventional approach to building innovative workforce development solutions for companies who are facing breakthrough growth and accelerated hiring patterns. She's a sought-after business strategist specializing in startups and large value-based organizations. She lives in Texas with her family and her rescues. In her free time, she enjoys reading, historic preservation, remodeling her lake home, and spending time with friends. So welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. It'll be a fun afternoon. Yep, looking forward to it. So one of the things that I ask everybody when they come on is so that people listening know who they're listening to is tell your story. How'd you get to where you are and um, anything you want to talk about along those lines? Gosh, how did I get to where I am? So um, probably not the most conventional road. Um, I, um, as a young girl, we won't mention my age, but this will give it away. As a young girl, I loved hanging out in the mall. I loved shopping. I loved fashion. And all I ever wanted to do was work in the mall. And so as I got older, guess what I did? I worked in the mall (laughs) and I um, got into the retail industry and worked my way up and started managing retail stores. And, you know, when I was young, you know, all I wanted to do was, you know, get a great discount on clothes and um, have fun with my friends at the mall. Um, But what I now know what was happening is I was learning how to be a leader at a really young age. You know, when you walk into your local mall, what we oftentimes don't think about is those people leading those stores are leading multi-million dollar businesses. At a young age, I was making decisions around scheduling, hiring, employee relations. Um, I had to know my KPIs. Every day I woke up to a scorecard. I knew if, if I needed to make my numbers, I knew who to put where on my schedule and all of those types of things to move my numbers. Um, so when everyone else thought that, that I should be you know, working in an office eight to five and something more respectable, I was like, no, I'm having the best time at the mall. Um, and so, you know, that progressed. I stayed in the retail industry for years. Um, I spent half my career on the operations side. Then the second half, I moved into HR. And that is always where I got my results. I wasn't like my peers. You know, they were highly competitive. And I was competitive in a different way. I didn't want to compete just to win. I really wanted this most amazing team. It was really about the people I surrounded myself with and who they were. And so since I was known for kind of more the talent side, that's when I moved into HR. And that progressed. I did all types of different things in HR. And then um, that progressed into an international HR career. And so I um, was fortunate enough to do all kinds of interesting um, short-term living assignments in other countries um, and started taking on um, the HR international division for the retailer I worked for. So um, 
I've done a lot in my career. Um, and, um, you know, five years ago, I woke up one day and said, well, I, I want to try this on my own. And so I started 304 Coaching. And today we do all types of different things. But the core of what we do is we help companies create great cultures, great education, and really this environment where people can do their best work. And so they hopefully every day wake up, they enjoy going to work. Excellent. It's really interesting. We have very similar backgrounds. I, I started off in retail as well. And, oh, fantastic. Uh, took the same approach, just uh, realized that building the best team was the, the leader's success. And then went to an HR career. So it's uh, <laughs> it's very, we walk very similar paths. I, I didn't, That's I didn't go overseas though. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you know, diving into that, you know, you had the ultra competitive competitors, right? But you were here building this team. How'd that work out? Did you find you were just as competitive? Um, I often won. I mm-hmm. was very rarely not the top performer, but I think that I was a top performer consistently because I approached it different than everyone else. And if I think that's kind of you know a basics of business. If you walk into a business situation and you're going after it like every single other person, then there's nothing about what you're doing that will get you a bigger bang or get you above your competitors or allow you to do something new and different. And I really just didn't care that they were all going one direction. I went the other. Um, It didn't bother me to be different. It didn't bother me to look at things different. And I think that was the secret to my success is... I was like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, especially in the retail world and in any industry, there's a lot of hours of operating business and there's a lot of things that have to be done. And so if you don't start with your talent, you'll never, ever win. And it's the core of everything. And I just showed up every day and believed that and knew that. And while all of them were fighting over who was going to be number one, I was quietly on the other side of the room building a team. And then you took that through your whole career. You know, building Absolutely. teams and building cultures. Say more about that. You know, how did you how did you go about building a team? What did that look like? The team that you know was, you know, kind of an ultra competitive, ultra successful team. So you know, I built a lot of teams in all different parts of the world, and locally and internationally. And then my team I have on my company today. But when I look at what I believe in from a team, there's a couple of things. One is I believe in hiring people who do what they love to do, and I don't ask them to do anything else. Because too often as leaders, we try to hire generalists. We create these unicorn job descriptions where you want someone to basically be able to write with their left and right hand equally at all times. And so when we do that, we create people who are going to disappoint us 50% of the time. And when we do that, we're creating an environment where people hate half their work. And so they're not going to stick around and do it. And so I think that's a big piece of what I do is, you know, what what is this person really good at? What do they want to do? What you're good at and what you want to do? Sometimes two different things. Now there's always a percentage of work that you got to do, but in general, that's a huge piece of it, allowing people to really do what they love to do and knowing what they love to do, really getting to know your people. I think the other thing is um, really understanding how to lead by the reduction of fear. Um, you know, how we've been taught to lead, all of our best practices that we've been taught since the early 1900s, they're very fear-based. And when we are working um, from a fear-based leadership viewpoint, 
the more fear we create in our people, the less access they actually have to their prefrontal cortex, which is what you need. They're learning, they're problem solving, their emotional control, everything you want, you're basically turning off the more fear you add into the conversation. And so that was one of the big pieces too, is how do I reduce fear? How do I make sure people feel secure in their work? And if they're doing what they love, they're going to be more secure. And being a partner and you know, growing alongside with the team, I think is a big piece too. So, so many things that I could talk about, but I think those are some of my three, three big basics that I look at is, you know, being a partner, um, reducing fear and allowing people to do what they do best. You know, I'm trying to figure out where to dive into first, you, you know, it's, I just finished a conversation, um, right before we got on that talked about, um, convergent differentiation versus divergent differentiation, which is getting at the idea, do we treat everybody the same? Or do we look at how different people are wired? And, you know, oversimplifying there, but that it kind of goes into that idea of letting people do what they do best. And, and it seems like when, when we try to do that, we run up against these objections like, um, it's not fair. How come they get to do that? And I don't get to do that. How, how do you manage through that? How do you create that environment where people can do what they do best? So I think one of the great things about today's world is it's actually allowing us to get more creative with how we look at work and who we hire and how we design the structure of our organizations through remote, through blend, through in-person, through you know contract workers, part-time, flex schedules. We have all these options that we didn't have that long ago. I mean, it's only been recently that we've had all these options. And so I think to allow someone to do what they do or what do what they love to do, you have to get creative and be open to saying goodbye to being 100% traditional in the way you look at things. And so um, if you need someone who is an expert in um, data analytics and say you need someone who to go into an expert position and you're like, I need that, but it's not enough for one job. And our old mentality, we would just tack on a bunch of work that didn't have any sense, just a bunch of stuff that needed to get done. And so we'd hire someone to do the core of the work and the rest of it would just be a mess. Well, in today's world, you can say, you know what, I'm going to hire someone to do that. And I'm going to find someone who does that all the time. Maybe it's through contract, maybe it's through a 1099. And so again, you can get creative and allow people to um, do things and to come in and do their work because we have all these options now that we didn't have even two, three years ago. And I think the companies that are open to flexible work schedules or looking at employment um, or contracts differently, I think they're going to be winning that war on talent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a hard leap. You know, I, I kind of want to tackle another difficult one. That's the whole idea of reduction of fear. And, mm -hmm. you know, what, what you say makes sense, but it's a hard concept, right? Because it's still out there. You know, you, you still watch movies that, you know, kind of have that fear-based approach to leadership, whether it be military movies, sports movies, you know, whatever it might be, you know, Ted Lasso accepted, right? Um, but, uh, you know, so you have that in the culture still, and we have high profile leaders, you know, that still manage through fear and still lead through fear at all levels of society. And our parents came out of, uh, you know, that kind of mentality. 
And so when you're sitting at the top of the organization, you know, it's one thing for you to get fear out of it, but how do you get everybody in the organization to kind of go to that, this new leadership style that is not fear-based? So it's, um, it's a process. I would love to say I can come in and turn on a light switch and make everyone this, you know, happy, cohesive group, but it takes, it takes time. And when I start working with organizations around the neuroscience of leadership, the neuroscience of fear and our language and all of those types of things, where I start is with every leader. They have to understand their own fears. They have to understand their own limiting beliefs. They have to understand what they're saying in their head to themselves. And so first, we have to help each individual understand their own fear, reduce their fear. Then they can become a more fearless leader. But if it's very hard to tell someone who has a lot of internal fear, go reduce fear in your team. You actually, I don't know if you could do that. You probably couldn't because when you are in fear, you roll with fear because you know that just how the world works. Um, but you know, when we were, you know, kind of growing up through leadership and when things were being taught to us, you know, a lot of those kind of pass me down best practices were built, you know, in the early 1900s. And the workforce looked a lot different. The work we did looked a lot different. <laughs> and unfortunately, we haven't really said, all right, today the world is different. How do we lead in today's world differently? Um, I think we're forced to. I think the current generation is forcing leaders to start to think about things differently. Um, you know, our the younger generations right now have never lived in a shortage of jobs like I have or some of your listen listeners might have. And so they don't have that same fear of if I lose this job today, what am I gonna do? They're like, there's a thousand jobs out there. I can contract, I can, you know, Uber, I can do this. I mean, there's so many ways to make a dollar in today's world. And because of that, they're not in fear of their job like I might have been when I all, you know, there was only like four jobs you could pick when, you know, I was young. Um, and so, you know, they're working without fear because of that. And so as leaders, we have to learn how to manage them that way so that they stay on board and continue to work with us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so important. And you said something else in there that I picked up on um, language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, say more about that. How does language come into play here? Oh gosh, language is. <sighs> I wish that we talked about language more often. I wish we had more language about language, but language is where it starts. And so, if two people are at work or really in any kind of conversation, two people are in any kind of conversation. We start interpreting their language with our own filter, our own mind map, our own experiences, all the stuff that was ours. And then we put our own twist on it. And then we kind of think that's what happens. That's how memories are created. Memories are created through emotions and not necessarily facts. And so language is incredibly important because our language tells people what to predict from us in the future. And really simple things leaders can do. For example, you know, maybe you have someone on your team and they come to you with this big goal or this big idea. And you're like, you're thinking, well, that's impossible. That'll never work. And so what we do is we say, oh, that was sweet, but no, it'll never work. Or no, no, thank you. And we send people back out there and we tell them we don't want to hear their ideas. And then down the road, we say things like, well, they never have any new ideas. Well, that's because you told them not to through your language. And so simply saying, hey, I don't see it. Like, I don't get where you're going with this, but that's okay. Change my mind. And then that from your language is very simple of, 
I don't see it, but I'm open to learning. I'm open to seeing your viewpoint. I'm open to hearing it. And then through that, you have a great conversation and who knows, you might change your mind, um, but you'll probably learn a thing or two also. And so really creating this atmosphere where people can use their language, we clarify language, we, we think about how our words impact people. That's the kind of stuff that makes such a, a big difference. Um, I have a whole series on YouTube called Say This, Not That. And it's examples like that because what we've been told to say is really fear-based. Um, you know, the old um, let's see, we're on a podcast, so I'll, I'll make it clean. The poopy sandwich, you know, say something nice and then give bad feedback and say something nice. Well, it's really passive aggressive. Be nice and mean in the same sentence. I mean, that is a definition of passive aggressiveness. Yeah. And so those are the types of things that, you know, we've all been taught that just really don't work um, through language and creates more fear. Yeah, it's there's a lot of power in that. And and also like what you said about kind of this the self-fear. And, you know, I, I think it works a couple of ways. The leader who is afraid is going to manage to fear. But the leader, you know, the, the leader who has fear is going to show it. It's going to be in their language. It's going to be in their everything else. And then it's going to spread, right? How, how do you, how do you get that leader off of that? Yeah. So um, there's a few things. Um, one, you know, I think executive coaching is a huge piece of that because when it's all in your head and it's all bundled up and it's all mixing around with whatever your chemicals are that day, the way you feel, this person said that person. If, if, if leaders don't have a really good coach or a private place where they can get things out, it's amazing. You know, I'll be talking to someone in a coaching session and they'll be all spun up at the beginning of it. And they'll be like, here's what happened. And then once they say it out loud and once they play it out, they're like, oh, actually, I'm not upset about that. Actually, I think this now. And so I think that's a huge piece of it. You have to have a safe place to work through your thoughts, to work through your fear. You have to have a safe place to strategize. Um, knowing you have options reduces fear because again, our brains are a predictive model. They, they always are trying to predict things and they predict it through fear to keep us alive. That's how we've stayed alive through all this, you know, many, many years of evolution. And so when we don't really know what's happening or we're in fear, we make up stories. That's how our brain processes information, but we always make up the story from a fear base. And so when we are in that fear, or we are making assumptions, you know, some of the best practices are to rewrite the story, rewrite the story where you're the hero, rewrite the story where you're amazing, because it will instantly change the chemicals in your mind, which will make you feel different. It will open up new places in your brain that were closed down and it will allow you to work through whatever you're in fear of. Yeah, that that's amazingly powerful. I, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, so today, you know, building that team that, you know, is a top performing team and is successful is a lot harder. You know, organizations are, many organizations are reporting just a real difficulty in finding the right people. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it's true. You know, it is, it is the truth. It is harder to find people than it was a couple of years ago. 
Um, I think we have to get honest on why it's harder to find people. I think it's easy to say things like people just don't want to work anymore. Well, our unemployment's low it's ever been. So that doesn't really work. That story isn't really working out. Um, I think we tell ourselves that because that's easier than it's easier to tell us, tell ourselves that it's everyone else because then as a leader, we don't have to take ownership. So, you know, blame feels good. Blame it on someone else. Um, and I think the the thing is we have to start to be open to change. We have to say, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to lead different. I'm going to look at evaluating people different. I'm going to look at um, how we work together different. Those are the types of things that will allow you to retain who you have and actually attract more talent. And it's as simple as how do we evaluate performance? There were a lot of years where we evaluated performance by the person who was in the chair the longest. It didn't make them the best, but boy, we thought so. They were there when we got there at work and they were there when we left. Well, they could have been sitting there for 12 hours doing nothing. But in our minds, they were amazing. They were so committed to the company. They were always working so hard. And the person next to them might have been 10 times smarter, 10 times more talented and could do all that work in six hours. And so there's just you know this time period in which we have to say, how do we evaluate work different? Um, how do we look at the jobs differently from a flexibility standpoint? How do we find out how what makes someone tick? And how do we really get to know people, especially in a virtual environment? The, the ability to know what the what someone's personal values are and their goals, not only at work, but personally make a huge difference because you can help them with that. Um, and I think that looking at the person more holistically, we've been taught to, you know, work well, as soon as you come to work, you turn it off at the door and and those types of comments, which is old school leadership. I think when you lead the holistic person, um, you get a better result. Um, an example, I woke up this morning, one of the girls on my team, her and her husband are are trying to buy a house. So she needed all this paperwork, you know, it's for her loan. And so I got it to her, you know, at like 7:30 this morning. And her first and I was like, I'm so excited for you. I'm so proud of you. This is an amazing. And her email back was like, Thank you for getting this to me so quickly. Yeah. Well, it was important to her. So it was important to me. And by responding to her right away with what she needed, I said to her, you are important, not just your work. And it's small stuff like that that make a huge difference. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because that's not a solution for the whole organization. That's not a policy. You just recognize the individual. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and a lot of companies, especially larger companies, you know, well, they've got policies, you know, we're going to get you that information three to five business days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By three o'clock in triplicate. And, uh -huh. and we don't think about, you know, the real power of the individual. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, you know, there's a lot about like the silver bullet approach. I get that question all the time, you know, yeah. How do I find people or how do I keep people? And there's not one. It's really understanding mm -hmm. the individual. And you just said great example on your team today. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. And you and didn't even I give her a big raise. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when I got that email back thanking me to get it over so fast, it didn't dawn on me that that would mean something to her. I just knew that it was important. So it was important to me. Um, and so that's, you know, why it kind of was on top of my mind because I thought, wow, that really made a difference to her because she thanked me for that quick turnaround. Um, but, her, you know, she's been talking about it for a long time and I know it's important to her. Um, so yeah, know what's important to the people on your team, because if it's important to them and it's not important to you, they will go somewhere where someone does find it valuable and important. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Excellent. How, 
So that, that's kind of how you keep your employees. Mm-hmm. How, how do you find a, How do you attract the employees? Oh, man. If you and I could solve that, we'd be on a beach somewhere, <laughs> wouldn't we? <laughs> so, you know, it's not a one decision makes it all happen. It is something you have to plug away at every single day. I think that organizations who have put work behind what's called employer branding, you know, really getting clarity on who they are and who works for them, and they're out there marketing that, I think they're going to be winning the war faster because as a consumer you know i may be happy in my job but a year from now i may not and if i've seen things on the on linkedin or talk to friends who love their job and i'm ready to find a job i'm going to go to those places and ret- hiring people is a long term strategy and i think too often we look at it as a short term strategy it is not just you know where to post your jobs. It is how do you make your current um, population love their jobs so they're out there recruiting for you? How do you talk about what your culture is out in the marketplace so when someone is ready, they're ready for you? Um, the other thing that when you do really good employer branding and you're really out there talking to the community about what it's like working at your business... When someone comes on in their first day, they already know how they're supposed to act. You've told them. And so the onboarding time actually shortens and you can spiral that great culture faster because someone comes on and they know, gosh, I've been watching for six months that you know you celebrate these types of things. So therefore, by gosh, I'm going to do those things. Um, and so it just really changes how... Over- over time, how quickly you can get people onboarded, how you can keep your t- culture nice and tight. Um, but it is a long-term game. And I think companies don't understand that it's a long-term game. You, There's a lot of components. It takes time. It takes money. Um, it takes great leadership. Um, you know, anytime you allow someone to be on your team that isn't treating people within your culture is a higher down the road that you will not be able to make. And there's so much, so much that goes into it. You and I could probably do like a, I don't know, probably a year long podcast on all the things to, to land great people. But I guess, you know, walk away with the fact that it is a long term game, that everything that happens in your organization impacts your ability to make your next hire. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about 30 minutes is, uh, you know, (laughs) you can only get into so far. Um, Really good stuff, though. Um, I think a lot of really good key takeaways. So, so I have one more question before I let you get out of here. And that is, how do people find you? So you can find us at 304coaching.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Jen Thornton ACC and on YouTube at Jen Thornton 304 Coaching. Excellent. We'll link all that up in the show notes. And uh, appreciate you being on today. I mean, just a, a lot of good stuff and really timely. Thanks so much for having me. It was a great conversation. And thanks for listening to the Aim to Win podcast. As always, make sure you like, follow us, all that good stuff. And if you're looking for me, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.